0: Let's open up to John chapter 14. With your finger in John chapter 14, flip over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1 through 3. Actually, just just verse 1. Paul has just finished a very large uh, uh, section correcting a church on a whole bunch of issues. And now a different division is going to happen. He's going to start to instruct the church on the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit. And it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Now about the gifts of the Spirit, brothers and sisters, I don't want you to be ignorant or uninformed. I love that. Paul's writing to this church because although they are extremely gifted by the Holy Spirit and they have gifts abounding among them, they are a little bit ignorant on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Does anybody kind of feel ignorant about the Holy Spirit? It's like, hey, God the Father, i got to get you. And God the Son, that's Jesus who died on the cross. But the Holy Spirit, I want to keep you kind of at arm's length. You know, I, it, that's kind of a little bit scary to me. And I think rightly so, because there have been many abuses within the church and misunderstanding, but Paul's just wanting to write to this church who is very gifted, who is very loved by the Lord, and instruct them in this third person of the Godhead, so to speak, uh, the Holy Spirit. And so chapters 12 through 14, the next three chapters, Paul is going to go into in depth teaching on the gifts of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, and how that plays out within the, the life of the church. And because the Holy Spirit is the enabling power in the Christian life, and is mentioned by name nine times in the first 12 verses of 1 Corinthians, if something is repeated a bunch, what do you think they're trying to communicate? Advertising, everybody. Repetition. It's about the Holy Spirit. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 12 begins in the first 12 verses there. As the Holy Spirit is mentioned nine times. And so... I believe it would be best, instead of just going and teaching through this, just to go back, because some of us have, you know, uh, since the last time we taught on the Holy Spirit, um, it would be great to just lay out a primer, just a, a, basic, a basic foundational teaching this morning on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And while we can get into many aspects and different things about the Holy Spirit, I just want to focus on four aspects that I think are important. About the Holy Spirit, uh, first is if you're taking notes, uh, the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. We're going to talk about the significance of that. He's he's not an active force. He's not like God's just like superpower shooting out. He is a person. And the second is the Holy Spirit alone provides the how of the Christian life, how to live the Christian life. The Holy Spirit is the answer to that. See the third one. The work of the Holy Spirit is always going to look like Jesus. The work of the Holy Spirit is always going to look like Jesus. And lastly, how to personally receive the power of the Holy Spirit. How does that actually work? So, the Holy Spirit, as you guys have flipped over to John chapter 14, everybody there? John chapter 14, it should be up here as well. John chapter 14, verse 15 through 18. John chapter 14, verse 15 through 18. It's, it begins and says, if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the fathers, Jesus speaking, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world can't accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans, and I will come to you in the person of the Holy Spirit is what he's talking about. You know, when I mentioned a couple of weeks ago I was on an airplane coming back from San Diego. I, you know, the Lord had graced me with time with him in the morning, and I was reading that devotion about sharing my faith, and I said, Lord, I want to, if you want, Share you with someone, and I told you I was sitting on the plane, and there was a couple next to me, and lo and behold, he was reading a book. How good is good enough to get into heaven? <laughs> open door, the Holy Spirit's working and active, and so open door. So we start talking, things are happening, and then he's, oh, I have, some, I have another question. He's like, my kids keep saying that the Holy Spirit is a person, and I said, well. You know, that's great. Where am I? What am I studying for on my vacation? You know? And he just starts asking. The Holy Spirit is a person. And they're like, oh, why, yes, he is. He's like, well, how is that? I thought he's an active force, which is a common teaching. The Jehovah's Witnesses teaches that the that, that Holy Spirit is not God, that he is an active force. I don't want to get into that right now, but there are teachings that the Holy Spirit is just an active force, like maybe God's gravity or God's, you know, electrical laws. Who knows? But that's not what the Scripture teaches. The Scripture teaches that He's a person. I began to explain to Him uh, what I'm about to share with you right now regarding the Holy Spirit being a person. In John chapter 14, verse 15 through 18, he, he, Jesus is teaching. He says, and notice when Jesus is speaking through here about the Holy Spirit to His disciples, Jesus ascribes names to the Holy Spirit. Did you see that? He names. What does he, who does He call the Holy Spirit? An advocate and a helper. That word advocate, as we're looking for is parakletos in the Greek, and that means, it means like paralegal, to come alongside. It's it's kind of a legal term, but it it means for someone to come alongside and to help out, to give aid. And the the picture also extends into the courtroom, someone advocating on your behalf before a judge. And so we've got this picture of, Jesus said, I'm going to send you a someone to walk alongside you, to help you, to give you aid, to empower you, to advocate for you before the Father. Now, who else advocates before the Father? Jesus. Which is, we're going to find this unity within the Godhead as, you know, just kind of keep that to the side, those of you who want to go that direction. But, Impersonal forces are not advocates, nor are they helpers. A person comes alongside another person to help, to aid, defend. Do we not? Another name in verse 17, the Spirit of Truth is ascribed to him. The Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Truth. This is one of many names given by the Holy Spirit. There's a lot of them. But tell me, if someone is called the Spirit of Truth, that implies that that is a moral being. There's morality there. Does it not? Only people have morality. They can discern between good and evil and act upon it. And the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. You want a new truth? You go to a truthful person to find it, do you not? We do. The Holy Spirit, he is truth. He is the spirit of truth. Also notice in verses 16 and the personal pronouns that Jesus is ascribing to the Holy Spirit. Verse 17. The world cannot accept it him. Now, I know there are sailors out there who like to call their, their ships a she. This is not that what's going on. <laughs> Never in the Scripture is the Holy Spirit referred to an it. He is referred to by name or by personal pronouns. He, him. The world cannot accept him. Verse 17, right? doesn't see him, doesn't know him. But guess what? You know him. You know him. He lives in you. And he also shall be uh, upon you later on, we can find out. Him, he, the Holy Spirit, is a person. The Holy Spirit is always addressed in Scripture by name, title, personal pronoun, never addressed as it. This is because the Holy Spirit is a person, just as Jesus is a person, just as Father is a person, Another example, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 says, what we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God. Not that is from God, who is from God. So that we may understand what God has freely given us. The Holy Spirit is a who, he is a person. Now, what do you mean to say that what... Uh, that he's a person. We often identify a person as having a physical body, do we not? Hey, arms and legs and mouth and, you know, can do a cartwheel in your younger years or at least thought you could. But there are many marks of a person that are not physical, are there not? Yes? same with and the bible expounds greatly about the personality traits of the holy spirit for example 1 corinthians 12:11 says all these are the work of the same spirit and he distributes them to each one just as he determines active forces don't work they don't distribute and they don't determine things do they no people have works they have power they, they determine things. They, they have wills. And so, as we're looking at this, we see that the, the Spirit performs works, which is power. He distributes. He gives power. So he has power. He gives power. And he determines how to distribute that power. That implies a plan. That implies intelligence. That implies a will. Does that sound like someone you know? Probably you. You have abilities. You have power. You have the ability to give and to receive. You have the ability to distribute. You have a plan in your mind. So the Holy Spirit has a mind. We look at Romans chapter 8. Wait, real quickly, back up. The Holy Spirit has power, and he gives power according to accomplish his will. Notice that. The Holy Spirit has power, and he gives power according to accomplish his will. That's important. We'll go back to that. And so the Holy Spirit also has a mind. These are attributes that aren't necessarily physical, but they're, they demonstrate personality. Romans 8.27 speaks of the mind of the Spirit. So the Spirit has knowledge. He has mind. He has a power and a plan, and it sounds like a person. And you might say, wow, well, that sounds like us, but guess what? We're actually like him. Did you know that? Because we were created in his what? In his image. Why do you think it is that we like to create? Why do you think it is that we like to be in relationship? Why do you think it is that we enjoy the things we enjoy and delight in the things we delight in? God has been stamped upon our hearts. And in this world, this physical world... God has given us bodies to express the true person, the true spirit of who we are, has he not? So you have an arm, you lose an arm. Did did we lose you? You lose both your arms, both your legs, you're still there, right? God's given us bodies to be able to express what our innermost beings are, our spirit in this world. When we die, our spirits are separated from our bodies, our, who we truly are, are removed, and they aren't just like disappear. They go before the Lord for judgment. Either to receive eternal life or to receive, uh, you know, the alternative, which is what we're praying to save people from, amen. Ever think about that? What about love? Romans fifteen thirty. It says, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of the Spirit to join me in the struggle by praying to God for me. The Spirit has a personality of love. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit is a person, and guess what? He has a personality of love. He is love, and, and by being filled with Him, we share in His love. Guess what? He also searches and reveals. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. These are the things God has revealed to us by His Spirit. The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. The Spirit reveals. The Spirit searches. Help us. He helps us. He prays for us. Romans 8, verses 26 and 27 says, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. So He helps. We already know that. We do not know that we ought to what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groanings. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Spirit prays for you as believers. He intercedes before the throne. He prays for you. Impersonal forces do not pray. Do they? They do not love, do they? The Spirit communicates. He speaks. Revelation 2.7. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Spirit communicates. And he teaches and reminds us. John 14.25. All this I've spoken to you while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will remind you of everything I have said to you. How many of you need teaching and reminding about the things that Jesus has said? Huh. My mind is like a colander that just, Lord, help. He leads and guides Romans, the whole chapter, chapter 8. Did you know the Holy Spirit can be lied to? Can you lie to gravity? Some would say yes. No. <laughs> Got to clarify things in these, this culture. Ananias and Sapphira. It says, Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan filled, has so filled your heart that you have now lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept for yourself some of the money you received from the land? You can't lie to a rock or a forest. You lie to a person. Am I making my point? Is the scripture making its point? It's a person. The Holy Spirit can be grieved. Did you know that? Last, last one year. He has feelings, Ephesians 4. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Did you know you can grieve God's heart? You can, res- you can grieve the Holy Spirit? I can grieve the Holy Spirit? Anyone? Now, is this what we, we grew up with as the Holy Spirit? Do we focus on that he's an actual person? We kind of just take it for granted as we're reading through scripture. Oh yeah, that's the other guy. And somehow they fit together. All these examples, and there are many, many more, show that the Holy Spirit is a person. Why is that important? Who cares, right, is what most people say. What, why, does that, why does that even matter? Because when I realize that the Holy Spirit isn't just a spiritual recharger, but that behind that power is a person who loves me, who has thoughts towards me and a specific plan for me and a specific power to accomplish his plan, When I allow that personal relationship with God the Spirit to permeate my being, it's life-altering. We're not asking for some jolt of electricity to come into our lives. We're talking to a person, fill me, and realize behind that person is someone who loves and who has power and has a thought and a plan towards you right now. And he's longing to impart himself to you fully and to fill you with himself to accomplish his will. And that's where we break down. We'll get there. So I'm no longer going to him when I realize that he's a person just to get a recharge so I can continue my plan. He's not a five-hour energy shot. I realize that he has pursued me he's the one who pursued me for his glory he's the one who's pursuing you right now the reason why you're gathered here is because he's pursuing you he's pursuing your heart and i realize that he has pursued us for his glory and will power us to bring him more glory as i love and obey him through my own power no, through the power he gives to accomplish his will living a life surrendered to his will, his plan, not going, hey, this is what I want to do in your name, God. Empower me to do it. I'm going to go do great things for you. Just fill me up. Let's go. No. It's what is your will. Show me your will. Wait upon him. Ask, and he will show you. He will speak to you, and he will fill you, and he will empower you for the purpose it's not so much asking the question how much do I have of the Holy Spirit but it's the, kind of the other way around how much does he have of us not how, mu- how how full of the Holy Spirit am I but how much of me does he have this brings us to the second point the Holy Spirit provides the how, and the other ones will go much quicker. The Holy Spirit provides the how to the what of God's will. How in the world am I to accomplish God's will? How am I to live out this Christian walk? John fourteen fifteen again, the text we started with regarding the Holy Spirit, being a person begins with a command from the Lord Jesus, if you love me, keep my commandments. How are we doing on that? Bum, bum, (laughs) ba-dum. You know? (laughs) And that's (laughs) kind of... If you love me, keep my commandments. Where we get into trouble, where I get into trouble, is when we begin to try and accomplish this great command in the power of my own strength and the power of our own strength, my will, my determination. I love God. I'm going to go do this for God. I will keep the commands. I'm just going to pull up my sleeves and go... Be like Jesus. I'm going to will it. It's going to happen. How's that working for you? Some of the most miserable times in my life, and probably many of yours, have been trying to live the Christian life apart from the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The weight of religion upon you will crush you, and that's what it's designed to do. Jesus, when he came to that festival and he saw all the people doing all the religious activity and the water was being poured out and he just said, oh, come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. And He starts going on and on about how I'm the living water and there's no way that we can keep the law of God. There's no way that we can fulfill the law of love. There's no way that we can live out the Christian life. We cannot live like Jesus, and, and w- apart from the power and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And the world sees Christians when we try to live without the power of the Holy Spirit. There isn't a dynamic in our life. There's a religiosity that pours out. Anybody who's been around me knows that that happens to me. Anyone? Yes. You don't have to all say yes at once. I know you're all wanting to hold back. Yes, we struggle with that. My power. How many of you type A's out there have got it all figured out? Type A's anonymous. This is something you want to write down. We cannot accomplish the will of God apart from the power of God. You cannot accomplish the will of God apart from the power of God. It doesn't work. John chapter 14, 15 begins with the command, if you love me, keep my commands. And verse 16 is the key key to living out the command. God never gives a command where he doesn't supply the power. He never gives you a burden that you cannot cannot, uh, apply with him doing it through you. If you love me, keep my commands. And obviously, the chief command is to love God, love one another. And this brings glory to God. But verse 16 is the key to living that out. Verse 16 says, John chapter 14, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and will be with you forever. The Spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, is the how of the Christian life. He is the help that I need. When I don't have the power to do the will of God. How many of you are in that situation this morning? I know it should be done, but I just don't have it. Amen. Apart from the Spirit of God, we are living out a Romans 7 life. How many like the Romans 7, verse 18 through 19? It says, For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good. We're all relating but I cannot carry it out. Bummer. How many of you know what's right to do? You know what the scripture says. You know what God commands, but you feel like, I don't have the power to live it out. I cannot do this. Why am I failing? Romans 7 is where you are, and you're frustrated, Christian, like me, been there, am there quite often. T- time to kind of like go reverse from 8 and go to 7 a lot. He goes on, for for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I don't want to do, this I keep on doing. How can I live out this life? I know what's right. I know what I should do, but I cannot do it. I know what I should do, but how do I actually do it? How does it happen? Then there's a big divide from what Jesus says and who I am. Anybody have that? And the hypocrisy, and the enemy comes in and goes, yeah, that's right. And he jumps before the throne of God and says, look at them. Look how dumb they are. Don't you see who you saved? But who's the advocate that says, sorry? Point to the cross. Work in progress. Paid for, loved, forgiven. No excuses. God is changing us day by day. Praise God for that. Apart from the Spirit of God, we're living out that Romans 7 life. And Paul comes to the point in verse 24 of Romans 7, the end of the chapter, what a wretched man that I am. Who will rescue me from uh, this body that is subject to death? Verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. And then Jesus says, is saved us from the sin, uh, pow, uh, the power of sin and death in our life by sending us the Holy Spirit, making us new creations, and that's what Romans eight is about. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit, life through the Spirit, and that's the grace of God in our lives. The how to live behind every command, behind every what of God, what we are to do. The command of God's word is the how of the Holy Spirit. Without the Spirit, it's impossible to live the Christian life. Christ-likeness does not happen just through imitation. I know Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, but that is in conjunction with being filled, allowing the Holy Spirit to happen. It's not just something that you mimic and do. How many of you uh, would like to do something that you can't? You look at someone with an incredible talent, and you just go, oh my gosh. You know, I, I, I think... I don't know what it is, but I, I'm pretty blown away at some some amazing singers. You know, I get up here and I sing, my voice, flows. I just, you know. Have you ever heard, like, no, I know no, you're going to laugh, but Whitney Houston, hold on. <laughs> National Anthem. I mean, are you kidding me? She just sits there and she was just like, oh, there's a smile on her face, whatever, you know, I mean, it just flowed out of who she was flawlessly, effortlessly from the bottom of her soul, just pouring out the national anthem in just this incredible ability. And I go, wow. Now, Whitney and I, we like to sing together in the car. And as we're singing the national anthem, you know, I'm like, oh, say, We're singing together and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, you know, I push power and then there's me. Oh, I can imitate all I want, but I have limitations, and I know this analogy breaks down because of voices and physical limitations, but there's no way on earth I can get a vocal trainer, I can try with all my heart and all my mind, and I'm not gonna sing like a Pavarotti or some amazing you know singer. I it's gonna stop short. The only way for me to be able to sing like that, besides having a different vocal register would be if that person came and possessed me, right? And Whitney possessed me and was like, I'm like, woo, you know, going all over the place. And I gained some, I know you, I'm not losing you, come on. Come back now. But do you get what I'm saying? There's no way I can do math like math people can do math unless the, the math mind came into me and made me have the ability. And... Living like Jesus is infinitely more difficult than singing like Whitney Houston for me and for you. Anyone? You see what I'm saying? Infinitely. You can't do it. No matter how you try to imitate or try, what you need is the spirit of Jesus Christ to come possess you and to live it out through you. And that's what the New Testament is about. The Old Testament is about law. The New Testament is about relationship. And so Jesus dies for you. Your sins are forgiven. And now the Holy Spirit comes and, and dwells us as believers. And we begin to have the ability to live and to walk like Jesus. Not based upon my ability, but upon his. And the degree that I that I seek him and ask him and let that happen just let Jesus live in me is the degree that the power shines through me so like Paul we're, I think a lot of us Christians are saying what a wretched man I am I'm so stuck I just can't do what I do oh darn it instead of going a different way a different route and say Lord possess me take all of me I can't live this life you know I'm a hypocrite You know I can't walk like Jesus and love like Jesus and share like Jesus. I've got fear. The only way is for him to come and fill us. That is Christianity. The only way to live my life like Jesus is for the Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit to come and to my being and possess me and live the life of Jesus through me, that is Christianity. That is Christianity. Christianity is Jesus in you, the hope of glory. That's what it's about. That, there you go. The Holy Spirit is the how of the Christian life. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The third point regarding the Holy Spirit is that his work will always look like Jesus. He's trustworthy. He's trustworthy. There are a lot of counterfeits and there are a lot of abuses of the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, sadly, within the church. But the Holy Spirit will testifies of Jesus. While there have been many distortions and abuses regarding God the Father and God the, God the Son, there have been a lot of, by people who call themselves Christians, I think good-hearted people as well, regarding the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit isn't going to do anything that Jesus would not do, nor the Father. They are one in will. In John 14, 15 through 16, again, Jesus says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Another helper. That word for another is different. There's like another of a, a different kind. And then there's the word for another of a same kind. And that's what that word is. I'm going to send you someone just like me. Not another of a different kind. Another of the same kind. Jesus identifies the spirit as an advocate, a, help, a helper. And but Jesus didn't just say an advocate. He says another advocate, meaning another one just like me just like me, the very same kind. Jesus said that he was sending another helper that would be exactly like the first helper. Jesus is saying that what I have been to you, disciples, face to face, now the Holy Spirit will be to you. Where I was limited with my body, the Holy Spirit will not be limited. The Holy Spirit will never do anything that contradicts Jesus' his character's teaching. The Holy Spirit actually testifies of Jesus, points to Jesus. That's why I you know, Jehovah's Witnesses, I, I'm interested in that title. Because the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus. And Jesus said, When you have received power, you will be what? My witnesses. You will be my witnesses. surrendering fully to the Holy Spirit will not surrender, will not end up with you losing control of your actions by being slain in the Spirit, or holy laughter, uncontrollable laughter, as I affectionately call barking and clucking. In other words, just losing control of yourself in the name of Jesus. That is not a work of the Spirit. I know that that's been abused by hyper-Pentecostal circles and There are dear people who love the Lord, but that's wrong. The Holy Spirit is safe to surrender to. And that doesn't mean that God won't demonstrate his power. It doesn't mean there won't be tongues. It doesn't mean there won't be miracles and things that will happen. But all of it will be done in a manner that does not draw attention to self, but points people to Jesus Christ and edifies the body that's what goes on. The Holy Spirit is safe to surrender to. Romans 8 verse 9 calls the Holy Spirit the Spirit of Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And lastly and quickly, how do I personally receive the power of the Holy Spirit? We've been talking about this. We've been seeing this thing and, 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 and we're going, hey, you know what? I don't have that in my life. I don't have this personal uh, pa- I don't have well, I, I didn't. I just found out that he was a person. And he wants to give me power and he wants to But I thought, you know, there's a lot of questions here. I thought he already was in me, and how does that work? Lastly, how do I receive the power of Jesus? John 14, again, I keep driving this home. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father. So Jesus is asking, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be in you, and is in you. In some translations, before a person is saved, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us. He convicts us. Of, <coughs> excuse me. Convicts us of sin. <coughs> Lose my voice. He convicts our hearts. He convinces us of our need of a Savior. Does he not? And that burden in our heart, and we've got this war going on. Going. Ur! And that's the Holy Spirit pressure cooking you to Jesus. Love you too much to get away. Parents with kids, you know what I'm talking about. There's wisdom in that. And, and he's, that's why I call him the hound of heaven. And when a person surrenders their heart to Jesus as Lord, it says, Lord, save me. I'm a sinner. What your, what your spirit says about me is true. I'm lost. Save me. Help. You don't have to do any special thing. You call out to God and it says that He saves you. You're saved by faith. That's it. The rest of the world's religions say you've got to jump through hoops and take five classes and all that stuff. No, we're saved by the work that Jesus already did on the cross. God help, save me. That's it. And he saves because he did all the work and he loves you. And you'll never get over why he did it. I'm not. I'm still amazed. So when we receive the Lord Jesus is our Savior. The Spirit comes into us now. He doesn't live just on the outside, out, out here. He comes into our innermost being and makes us a new creation. He's actually the seal, the proof that we've been saved on the day of salvation. He's the proof that we're saved. And now that we're saved, and he, he begins to teach us how to walk, and his, his fruit starts to happen in our life, that the, the joy, the love, and the peace, and, the, and all the fruits of the Spirit to come out. We're changed from the inside out, right? Praise God. Jesus is starting to live in us, but Jesus also taught, and this is the third thing I want to share about, that, that, and spoke of the overflowing of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus specifically identified as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I know there's a lot of teaching about this, and I've taught about it. When does it happen? How does it happen? I don't know all the specifics, but I know that Jesus taught it, and that's what I want to focus on. The baptism of the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit is not just with us and in us, but upon us and overflowing. And this is the empowerment by the Spirit for the ministry that God has given us each to do. The empowerment for ministry, the empowerment to be a witness, the empowerment to live for Jesus. It's an overflowing. We see this with the disciples in Acts chapter 2. Were they not saved at that point? They were saved. They had already received the Spirit when Christ breathed upon them in John chapter 20, verse 22. Receive my Spirit, he breathed. So if they had the Holy Spirit, why did Jesus tell them to go wait in Jerusalem until he sent the promise of the Holy Spirit? What in the world is God talking about? And this happens over and over and over in the New Testament. The key is in Acts eight. But you will receive power, speaking to the disciples, Jesus speaking to them, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will, what? Be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And after he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes in a cloud that hid him from their sight. So wait, and you will receive power the last thing that Jesus said before his ascension to his disciples, who had already breathed on, who had already given power to cast out demons and all these things. They needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That word power, you will receive power is the word where you get "dynamist," dynamite, dynamic, a dynamic in your life that isn't trumped up by what you can do physically, but is a work in the, of the Spirit in and upon and through you. This isn't just testifying publicly to be a witness uh, and notice the power to fill you is to be a witness, not just to go witnessing. That's always part of it. We always share Jesus, but to be a witness. Your life is a witness to the world, is it not? And this is not an excuse not to share, but each one of these disciples, what did they do? They went and shared. And they were witnesses in how they lived and how they loved. And it was, there was a dynamic happening in their life. The Holy Spirit gives us power to testify of Jesus, not only in word, but in life. And this is part of the role of the Holy Spirit, to empower us in various ways to be witnesses of Jesus, to testify to the world by our lives that Jesus lives in us by our love for one another, his love, his dynamic. Wherever you are, in your Jerusalem, your Samaria, your workplace, your hospital bed, on a plane. But this example of the baptism of the Holy Spirit happens over and over in Acts. Read through. A person believes in the message of salvation, they're baptized with water, and then they separately receive the power of the Holy Spirit by the laying on of hands or prayer, whatever it might be, to minister unto Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that this doesn't happen all at once for some people when they're born again. I'm not saying that God can do whatever He wants and however He wants. But what I see is quite often a separate experience of waiting upon the Lord, asking and receiving uh, his power for the work of ministry. And I don't understand it all, but this is what I see taught here. And my thinking is this. So just follow through with me. uh, just, Just work it through with me for a second. If the disciples had the Holy Spirit, And they were told to pray and wait upon the Lord for power. And the same experience happened over and over again in Acts, not to mention by Billy Graham, D.L. Moody, and many others. Do you think we ought to ask and seek and not for the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Do you have the torrent operating in your life? Because that's what Jesus is talking about, A torrent. Have you been dynamically empowered by the Holy Spirit? And if you're like me, the answer is, not really. And for the things that God is calling us to in the near future, it's not going to work out in our flesh. We need to be surrendered fully and allow him to just consume us. That's what the picture of baptism is. It's a full immersion. The torrent of living up water. In closing, this will take one minute, Jesus teaching on receiving the Spirit. He said this in Luke 11, beginning in verse 5. This is Jesus' teaching on receiving the Spirit. Ready? Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend. And you go to him at midnight and say, hey, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on the journey has come, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one on the inside answers, get away. Leave me alone. Don't bother me. The door's already locked. All my kids are in bed, and I'm in bed. Go away. I can't get up and give you anything. Verse 8. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, Yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. This is right after Jesus' teaching about prayer, right? So we've got this guy. Someone came in the middle of the night. He wasn't prepared. Goes to his neighbor's door. Hey, give me some food for my friend who just came. I don't have enough. Go away. Go away. Come on. Please give me some food. Go away. Please give me some food. I'm not going to leave until I get some food. Do you see what's happening? Okay. Your shameless audacity has got me out of bed. I just want you to go away. So I say to you, I'm sorry, he's going to get up and give you as much as you need. And so I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. So he's taking that analogy, and he's taking it around, and he's saying, if you seek your neighbor in that way, what about seeking God for God and his things, things you really need? For everyone who asks, receives. How many is everyone? I think I'm included. The one who seeks, finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened, and now he puts the analogy right. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? No one, hopefully, right? Dad he wants a fish. Here's a snake. We're not talking about pets. We're talking about food. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Who's going to do that? And he goes, "If then, if you then... Though you are evil, in comparison with God, God is not hard-hearted. He's not going to tell you to go away. He's not like that. If that's how you work as earthly fathers, and you know how to give good gifts to your children, here we go. How much more will your Father in heaven give what? The Holy Spirit to those who what? Ask. Jesus said, ask. Go. Seek the Father. Knock. Pound on the door. This is not something we Earn, by the way it's something he freely gives and it's not about the degree to which we do that but I think the asking the seeking the knocking is for us it's not for God there are things that we ask and seek and knock for that are silly in light of what he truly wants to give you he's already given you his spirit but he wants to overflow you hey hey Overflow you, sleepy people, hungry, want to go away. He wants to overflow you. Asking is faith. We don't earn the Holy Spirit, we ask. He's the promise from the Father. Jesus sends him, and you receive him. The world works on buying and selling, the kingdom works on asking and receiving, giving and receiving. And I think, again, the asking, the seeking, and the knocking is for our faith and our hearts. It's just saying, Dad, I am hungry, and I am thirsty. I cannot do this life. I cannot do it apart from you. And you have what I need. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, and you shall be filled. And your Father not only desires for you, The overflowing with His Spirit, but to be equipped with the gifts of His Spirit to fulfill His plan for your life and for His glory, and that's what we're going to get into. Lord, we come before You, and first off, if anyone in this room has never received You as Your Savior, now is the time. If the conviction of the Spirit has been on your heart this morning, you know that you're a sinner. You know that you're not right with God, and the only answer is to say, God, I I give up. If that's you, raise your hand, we're going to pray for you. If not, that's fine. I have no doubt there are many in this room who need just the total flow overpowering of the Holy Spirit in their lives. I am among them, Father. So we ask Lord, from our hearts, not based upon who we are or what we deserve, but pour it all out. We want to be immersed with you, Holy Spirit. Teach us to follow you, to hear you more and more. Empower us, give us gifts. Increase your signs and wonders in this place, not so that we can look at each other and go, ooh, but so the world would be amazed at your goodness. Heal people, Lord. Raise the dead. Cleanse us, Lord. Help our love, the fruit of the Spirit, to just abound. I pray it would be like a jungle in our hearts. So we ask all these things, Lord. In the name of Jesus, amen.